They're bad. They're boys. And occasionally, they talk about running. Yes, it's the Bad Boy Running Podcast with your hosts, Jody Rainsford and David Heller. Hello, hello, listener. Hello, David Hellard. Hello, JD. Why are you um? Why are you in a basement? <laughs> no, this is a garage. I'm in the garage. You're I've in the been, garage. I've been banished to the garage for uh, for all my sins. Is this yeah. a permanent move or? <laughs> yeah, I sleep in here. Um, <laughs> no, no. It's, it's actually, it also doubles up as my office at home um, because uh, it, it exudes unprofessionalism when um, two children are, are beating seven shades of shit out of each other when you're on a sales call. Um, doesn't, doesn't, really, doesn't really work that well. They, they don't do that, but they are a bit noisy. Um, so, so you, yeah. you leave you leave them to beat the shit out of each other by themselves. <laughs> yeah, and, I, leave, uh, I leave them playing in the kitchen with the knives and fire <laughs> and stuff like that. And I'm like, kids, I need to take this call. There can be only one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That natural selection will work itself out. That's... <laughs> yes. Well, so, welcome uh, to Bad Boy Running. Welcome to Bad Boy Running podcast. And we were just reminded of this uh, just before. If you've never listened to us before. Uh, there are a series of uh, episodes called the A to Z of Bad Boy Running that we suggest you go back and listen to. Um, or maybe listen to this podcast first and then go back and listen to it because we're going to make a load of references that you won't understand. And uh, we created these um, episodes to help you get into, uh, uh, get into the, uh, the lexicon and the, uh, the vernacular that we use. And I honestly don't think any other podcast um, says, um, before you listen to this podcast, listen to seven hours of explanation. <laughs> about what this podcast is i think the, the only thing with that kind of preamble is, is probably lord of the rings and the the hobbit the three movies oh my god yeah but yeah yeah we could have explained the a to z of like do battery in about 15 minutes but instead we did a full <laughs> peter jackson and decided to to you know turn it into a month's worth of content but it's uh, it's quite intense in that if um if you if this if this is your first podcast and you've really come here to just understand more about running and, and haven't really got a sense of what the podcast is about, um, there's not much useful running conversation in there. It tends to be uh, just a, a condensation of all the most stupid things, the highlights almost of, uh, of the podcast to date. I would suggest if you've, if you've turned up to the Bad Boy Running podcast expecting to hear about running, you've already lost. Yeah. It's game fact, over. It's you game... are very lost, my friend. <laughs> you are, you are not going to find what you're looking for here. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, you may think you've stumbled into into a pub and you're listening to two losers talk about how good they used to be at running. Well, how good they thought they were at running. Um, and that's probably more accurate. Yeah, I mean, we're not in a pub, but that's the only thing that's untrue about that previous statement. So, um... <laughs> but, but, how... but at some point we will be in a pub. It, yeah, absolutely. So it's not entirely um... untrue. <laughs> Although, I mean, depressingly, I went to the fridge just now to open up um, myself a beer, and all I've got left is weird stout. <gasps> yeah. But, do you know, what? the other day, they fully, Guinness fully announced that everything is vegan now. Oh, really? Yes, they announced everything as, is vegan. As it has been for years. <laughs> So, so uh, the story that you'll hear if you go back and listen to the thing, 
was um, uh, David once told me um, uh, v- uh, uh, Guinness was vegan, and uh, and of course I believed him and drank it. Um, so that was the last time I drank Guinness. Um, and so as soon as it, I found out it was like vegan, I went out, bought some cans of Guinness to uh, to try it again after all this time. And happy memories, or no? Just b- brought back my hatred for you, really, <laughs> reminding me oh. of uh, how you tricked me. It wasn't so much a trick as it was, um, it was an out and out lie. It was terrible. It was, <laughs> it was it was the beauty of the lie, which you said the landlord is vegan, and I and that I didn't stop to think <laughs> how many landlords are vegan. Like where would you run a? <laughs> it was the beauty yeah. of the lie. It's such a good. I didn't question if you get that first part right. It makes sense. You, you've got the you've got the the reasoning behind it, but then if you don't question the original reasoning, then then you're in trouble. Well, all Irish people are vegan, as we know as well, which is <laughs> why Guinness is now uh, you know that's they're green, the Irish Irish vegan green, all that it works so well together. So, which is why Guinness is now. So, um, and what what is this sign you're handing up? Have I mentioned I'm a vegan yet badge? Nice. Yeah, look, people just send me stuff. See, people like abuse me and send me stuff um, that's all related to to me being me being vegan now because I, apparently I mention it all the time. Yeah, well, I, I mean, it, it's probably the only thing which, if you post it in the ultra running group, any ultra running group on Facebook, mention anything about being a vegan and it just erupts. Really. Yeah, absolutely. You're because, um, I mean, it's, it's a higher proportion of vegans is uh, ultra running vegans than in any other group of runners. Yeah, un- absolutely, and that, I think that's part of the problem. <laughs> okay, <I> mean, <laughs> they're coming so, in saying, "Yay, you're not a, you're not an asshole. You're not murdering hundreds and other people." Go <laughs> fuck, you. and it just it, it quickly deteriorates. <laughs> Um, I give it go. Amazingly, I don't. I don't go in any running groups um, because, uh, well, they're full of runners. Yeah, I mean, I, I do, but mainly just to promote. Uh... <laughs> oh yeah, you're spamming, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, then I got locked out of Facebook last week. Did you? Yeah, which I didn't know was a thing that could happen. Well, why? What were you reported? I don't know. I mean. I, I all I was doing is sharing marathon plans in Facebook groups that had that were basically marathon training groups. So, in my in my heart of hearts, I, I genuinely believe that I was offering a nice service to people as opposed to spamming. I mean, it was related to Caffeine Bullet, but that was a aside. You know, it wasn't. Hey, Caffeine, it was just here's free marathon training plans if you want to have a look at them. And I don't know if there's a number of posts I, I posted in groups or maybe maybe it was flagged as spam potentially. Yeah, 900 posts in different <laughs> running groups in the space of 24 hours <laughs> flagged up something on their algorithm. Well, I'd, I'd have carried on going probably until I was flagged or until Facebook was over. So um, until I completed it. <laughs> so it's possibly a good thing. Has it worked? But, Has it worked? Um, I think it's done all right. I mean, we've got about 60 people sign up for... Um, for the newsletter based off it so I, I mean i don't know if that's good or bad really but um yeah I, i'm happy with that it, it's had some response at least so um but yeah if you want a free marathon training plan caffeinebullet.com <laughs> at last at last you got to the promo yeah i was saying anyway, how are you how's how's marathon training going um it's i still haven't revised what i said last week uh in terms of um in terms of hitting my sub four target but i'm 
I've um, I've decided to uh, I'm going to run the South Downs Way 100 again uh, this year what? and try and go sub 24 on that. Okay. Um, so I've, I'm I'm still focused. I'm still focused on getting it down. I think I can. I think I can get close to it. I just. I just I don't think I'm anywhere near it. Anyway, um, the I've got the um, the lactate threshold thing this week, and I will see how that goes. Um, again, that might be my secret weapon. It might not be. You never know. Um, but I'm not. I haven't. I haven't improved. <laughs> well, I haven't proved it between this week and last week. So, um, yeah, I don't think I don't. It's really I don't. It, you know when you you know when you get sort of like halfway through a marathon training plan and yeah. you have that um, thing of like I've come really far I've worked so hard and then you also have that thing of I've not really come that far uh, even though I've worked so hard and I don't think I'm gonna do it and it seems like there's so much to do still and I should have started in like 2016 or something like that that's how that's how it feels at the moment like yeah you're making Why progress you're... but you're slightly despondent you're, t- you're still a bit far out. Yeah, because it's not it's not got to the point where you're starting to you know it's not like on the on the home straight as it were. Um, well, you are early days still. Yeah, I know, I know. I think it takes because between six and eight is sometimes when you actually dip in form because you just you've built up so much tiredness. I think it's only kind of eight to ten when you start doing your half marathon races that you suddenly think, holy crap, yeah, this is working. Yeah. So, so I'll, dangerous I, play yet? I know. I, 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 um, so Tom has Tom has been messaging me um, a few things, and again, I think I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether this is mind games or not. Or, but he said that he he DNF'd a park run. <laughs> yeah, he mentioned something like that. How did he manage that? I don't know. I'm not sure. I believe it because <laughs> it. I mean, to DNS a park run is easily done. That, oh, that easily. That's a, yeah. But DNF does take a particular set of circumstances. Yeah, unless unless you're going for a, like a, a, a DNF at the funnel, that's you know quite a, that's a bad boy DNF. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think I, I I guess you count as a DNF. But the thing is, in some ways, it's it's a nice thing to do because you're not giving up a, you're giving up a place that someone would have had who actually is probably running for the place. So it's a nice DNF as long as you the person with a chip timer. So the uh, the stopwatch doesn't count you in, and then you ruin it for everyone. But um, <laughs> ah, interesting, interesting. So how about well, you? Um, what do you? What? what you, how is your running going? It's a bit weird, actually. So I've got I've been trying to quickly wrap the miles in, um, doing a marathon in two weeks. But I went out on Sunday, and I was just completely ruined. Really? Why? Like, utterly knackered. Just ru- not, so. I've um, I've been doing a bit bit of British British military fitness, and oh, yeah. I think I've discovered um, why I kind of fell apart in the ultra because my during that my left leg um, my hamstrings just completely seized up, and now when I try and do if I do too many burpees and various other jumps, the same thing's happening. So I think I must have some kind of weakness in my left glute hamstring, something along those lines, and they're not firing. Um, so I did lots and lots and lots of rolling on Saturday. And I went out and I was just, I mean, I had a big night the night before, Saturday night with um, Sweetheart and various other people. But I've had monster hangovers and, and still gone out and run 20 miles, no props. Um, yeah, by by kind of six, seven miles, just really tired. And I was struggling to run with Claire probably 
nine minute mile pace yeah. which um yeah should be incredibly comfortable by by 12 miles i just said look i'm i'm just knackered i just can't i can soldier on but i just don't think it's the right thing to do and i've never had that before where normally once you're out you're out and you know I, I took some shot blocks got some energy or tried to get some energy and i don't know what it was i just genuinely so maybe it's just that i've i've done a few relatively big training weeks and need a bit of a a mini break but uh i don't think it's, don't think it's age i don't oh it could be it could be aids but uh <laughs> aids not aids <laughs> Yeah, I mean, who knows? It could be age, but I, I doubt it. I mean, I I've, I put in a seventy mile week the week before, and uh, that seems to be fine. And things are starting to click. So um, yeah, I, I don't know. Just maybe these things happen every now and then. Yeah. But um, shame. I was too hungover. I missed the. Um, actually, that's not the reason why. The reason why I was, I was down with my parents. That's the official reason why for anyone from Heathside listening. But unofficially, um, I was too hungover to do the Southern Cross Country Games. <laughs> Damn it! So that was missed. And uh, there's a lot of controversy at the moment. So there's a petition going around that the women's distance should be the same as the men's. Right. And um, I, I'm i not sure how I feel about it. The, it there's, there's a bit of a difference in every cross-country race. But the Southerns, the women's distance is five miles. Yeah. And the men's distance is over nine miles. And that seems crazy to but have. But what, what's, is it, what's the reasoning or is it, not, is it just a legacy thing? Yeah, just legacy, I think. I don't think there's... I don't think anyone's ever aggressively argued for or against, you know, one way or the other. Yeah. Um, but there is a... There there are some people who are arguing that... So there's a petition to make them the same. Right. Which um, I haven't got the same... Well, I haven't, I haven't really got strong views of yeah. either way. Um, if, if women run longer cross-country, it means that my cross-country is probably pushed push back a bit to late in the afternoon, which is a bit annoying. Um, other than that, <laughs> I mean, it comes down to that kind of small level of. <laughs> is that it? Is that the reason? That's why. That's all. That's the only thing I think I can care. Like in any way. that's better though. If you're hungover, it gives you more of a chance to. Yeah, it's, it's good for hangovers. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. I thought you were going to come up with some like clever sporting reason or something to do with physiology or, or something like that. <laughs> no, not really. Yes, yeah, it's is I, a bit later, isn't it? Yeah, I, I just think it's none of my business. I just, it doesn't affect me in any way. And, and I, I think they should just be allowed to decide if they want to have it longer, shorter, the same... Um, I just don't. I don't. I don't see a reason why they should be the same. If but, people want something different, but who? But who decides? Who? Who is the person that makes this? If it varies, who's in charge? But it's probably that. There's probably a, each league has their own decision-making abilities. But maybe they're set as standard distances from England Athletics. I'm not sure. Um, but the some people are saying we should all race together at the same distance, which would be quite weird. Why? Um, well, I, I just think it, it changes it because unless you have, well, I, I don't think you should you should have it as Heathside as a club. The results would still be male results and female results, right? And I think it then changes the actual race. If there were, if if the women race just by themselves, it's a different race if men are there because. 
they ne- they don't necessarily know where the other women are. They can't see them in the same way. But also, it then means the the front women can get paces, um, or people in the middle can get paces similarly. Um, and so it is a very different race to be running alongside men to just being by yourself. Also, I think it's denying it, it make the logistics hard, but it's just denying um, first women. It's, it's great when she runs in by herself. The men are all there cheering. Um, the men, the women cheer the men afterwards, and she comes into huge applause of everyone. Uh, whereas if she's running in in 80th place, might not pick her out, and it just becomes quite complex. But um, yeah, I mean, how do you feel? Do you think it, it should be e- equal? <laughs> I can't understand why. It w- I don't understand why it wouldn't be. Uh, yeah, just legacy, just because it hasn't been. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't know. I do when when women run marathons and do that. Does the first woman feel aggrieved by the fact that she's she doesn't get to run in on her own? Or I don't know. Um, probably not. But but then the. I mean, the logistics for the end of a marathon are quite simple for the first one or two women. They they set off well. They do set off differently, don't they? The women set off first, so they can finish first. So they so finish. Why can't they do the same across country? Um, I think it just become complex in the timings of when to start. But then, even at the moment when you finish, it's not chip timed. You when you finish when you cross the finish line, yeah. there's someone with a stopwatch who's a bit like Park Run is timing each person as they come through. So to do that, the men and the women simultaneously means they're going to have to have twice as many staff. Why, why don't they chip time? Just hassle with money. Cross-country costs, well, it's free for me to race because I'm part of his side, but it, it probably costs the cub £3, £4, £5 to enter for each person who races. If you put chip timing in it, suddenly you're adding £5 per head doubling the prices for not much benefit really I don't know I don't... <clears throat> um, it seems quite arbitrary why women and men aren't the same I'd like yeah I can say, I'd say it's a legacy thing but uh... yeah no, I think to a certain extent it's because it is just I don't think people care enough and that's why it's not changed because it's not that big a deal well, it depends who's <laughs> what is the makeup of men to women in the committees that make those decisions I, bet, I imagine that answers the question for you yeah yeah I know I'd, I'd imagine it is the male yeah for sure but um but interesting I was, I was speaking to Andy Parry before Christmas about cross country and he was he's never worn spikes before and that really surprised me do you ever run spikes? Did we no, discuss this no, last no, week? No, I've never run in spikes. No, I've never run in spikes. It just well, the difference between running in spikes and running in trail shoes. Yeah. Oh my, it's 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 like turning up in 100 meters and having. Um, if you imagine trying to sprint as hard as you can with a big pair of ultras on ultra shoes. Yeah. Um, you you just feel so different. Mud doesn't stick to your feet at all. Um, you can. You don't even have to worry about corners. You, you, nothing. You'll never fall over. And you get fifteen millimeter spikes. It's insane. Um, I don't think I've ever run fast enough to ever worry about corners. <laughs> but have you never, have you never in um, races gone down very slippery slopes. Yeah, yeah. On the Transalpine, there was like some of the some of the slopes there. I, I, when we were going down some of them, um, and they were just like grass. So it was there was like nothing to it wasn't mm. like a path or anything else like that. It's just like long grass or whatever. 
And when it got wet, it was just, it was like a slide or something. And you just kept thinking, oh, I can't get any grip at all. I suppose, yeah, in that situation, the uh, spikes would have been incredible. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's end of the season now. So it's, uh, it's advice, it's a bit too late. But I advise anyone who's out there who, who does cross country or is considering it, just go and buy some spikes. The good thing is, all pairs of spikes are exactly the same. They're essentially just the base with no support and, um, and then the claws. And so you can buy really cheap spikes, 30, 40 pounds, that are as good as any other. Spikes, eh? Never thought we'd get on to talking about something as serious as... We've told, pe- we've told people who've just come on this uh, that we're not talking about running. We've talked about running loads. We have indeed. Well, well let's talk about instead our, uh, our next challenge let's that we mentioned the, last week. The next challenge. Oh, what? The, uh, the, the Shutterstock Challenge. Shutterstock Challenge. So I've, I've been online. It looks quite easy to upload your own Shutterstock photos. Oh, I've got to be quite high resolution. So the if you haven't listened to last week's podcast, inspired by a um, a Shutterstock model who we just keep on seeing everywhere called Super Smiley Eileen or something similar to that, um, we've decided we should all, as a podcast, try and get our stock images uploaded and used by running brands just to see where we'll end up <laughs> it's just such a good idea really. <laughs> you can even make money from it as well I know, that's it. it could actually be it could actually be a money spinner it's crazy yeah the, the thing is i don't think that anyone's going to take a photo of us wearing bad boy running t-shirts no so. i was thinking if there's any way but there, but there may be there may be ways of slipping um uh, bad boy running references into things so um, yeah. so that's why listening to Bad Boy Ace Bad Boy Runner might be quite a good idea because if you can if you can slip things in like maybe some press ups or uh, running with a strawberry milkshake. A strawberry milk yeah, that's it, something like that. Um there must be there must be lots of references that you could get in it because you look at some stock images and you just think, I can't think of a single situation where you'd use that one. <laughs> It'd be like man, a man in a vest with a feather duster and you're like, I it's yeah. hard I just who who took that? I mean, someone must be searching. Yeah, I wish I wish we had some stock images of a man in a vest with a feather. Oh, perfect! But imagine exactly if you're the person who's looking for something, and you suddenly find that one. You'd be thinking, what? it's unlikely, but yes, yes, a man running with a milkshake. And you're like, oh, yeah. Um, well, and that's the thing. I, th- I think we can come up with some great ideas. Ideally, they'd, it'd be good if they're running related just because I think that'd be funnier. But um, why why not go for wacky or any type of um, pose you want? That's the better way. So that's the thing. If you can get bad boy running um, inspired stock images into things like accountancy firms and stuff or whatever, that's, <laughs> that'll, be, that'll be the real challenge. No, what we really want is to have the Edinburgh Marathon feature bad boy running stock photos. <laughs> that oh, would be wow. the dream. Uh, oh. Well, we, the thing is, you wouldn't be able, so if you wanted to do that, you clearly wouldn't have to have a picture of Edinburgh in the background um, because Edinburgh Marathon would never use that. So just running by the sea, running into a, a hurricane, um, probably de- massively dehydrated and trying to crawl, all these photos. A massive, a massive yellow cock. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Looking around despo- your neck. <laughs> that's a yellow cock around you. That's that. That's in relation to a medal they had at the uh, Edinburgh Marathon. Just in case you're listening to that and thinking that's a that's some kind of private joke that we've got. <laughs> well, in fact, talking about being dehydrated, 
it ties us in potentially to our next guest. <laughs> yeah, it does. I thought you were going to go talking about massive yellow cocks. That's what I'm like, about? oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Can you, I mean, uh, how well do you know him? He is blonde. He is blonde, but um, <laughs> he is a lovely man as well. So we, I mean, we mentioned Alfie last week, didn't we? A little bit. Yeah, um, we mentioned a little bit. We only in relation to being famous as a runner. So we didn't. We talked about yeah. We talked about the fact that he'd done a, a, a race in China. We talked about the fact that he had he he, um, he found fame uh, through doing yeah. it. But I think that's all we said. I don't think we said much more than that. Yeah, so we've um, we've got Alfie on. He's a, a friend of a friend who I've known for eight years or so. And as we as we mentioned, he went to China, ran in an, an incredible ultra out there, and uh, did unbelievably well. And it, it, it seems that China is currently uh, forming an obsession with ultra running. So that coincided with him being uh, quite a pretty boy and doing fairly well on this uh, on this show that was being televised. And for uh, what was but with the David Beckham of China for, uh, for a short while. <laughs> That's amazing. So um, so we talked to him about that. We've also uh, we want to get him on because he's done quite a few interesting other trials as well. So uh, without further ado, welcome to the podcast, Alfie. Hey. Hey. How you doing? Yeah, yeah, all good. Um, yeah, I got back from Jordan last week, so pretty much recovered. I love the fact that you, you're you've cut, you're returning from Jordan to somewhere even less uh, high tech in general. Yeah, yeah, I'm in Kampala at the moment, which is um, fun place to live, good place to run as well. Although slightly disconcerting when you start running against Ugandans. How does it work out there? I mean, have you joined a club? Is there a hash? I mean, what do you what do you do running locally? Um, I mean, there, there, there are a few races now and again, um, a few that internationals come in for um, and then a few sort of uh, city runs and 10Ks and stuff. I, I did a marathon over um, in the west of the country a, a few weeks ago and about 5K in, uh, I started talking to a Ugandan guy um, who then dropped casually into conversation that his PV was 215. That would be sort of international standards if you came from almost any other country. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in Uganda, like your guard probably bashes out a two twenty marathon on the weekend. He probably wasn't even racing. He was probably just heading off to school. Well, no, he definitely wasn't racing because he was with me after five kilometres. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's a fun place to um, to go for the odd run. Um, Are people out often? In I mean, do you, do you see a lot of running? Yeah, I mean, in the you you get the the usual sort of expat crowd running um, rather slowly. Uh, and then you see some proper Ugandans training on the side of like motorways at, at times. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's quite a big, big running culture and some, some good, if slightly chaotic races. Do they have, do they have, do they have different categories in, in races uh, there so that you have, uh, just to make it fair, you have almost like, yeah. Ex, First white dudes. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, exactly. That's it. One. Yeah. There was one that had an international podium, um, which, which was a euphemism for just that. Just like, uh, we want to give uh, some white people some medals as well. But I, I bet you, like, a Kenyan turned up, and you're like, oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so, well, you've just come back from Jordan. I mean, what, what was that? So it was basically a massive case of me lucking out incredibly because um, I, I, I found out, well, actually, I'd, um, I'd originally planned to go uh, running in Jordan 
beginning of 2016. Mm. And then um, I was living in Nepal at the time, about a week before, um, or two weeks before I was meant to go, I went to a doctor in Kathmandu to get um, a UTMB medical certificate signed, um, which I thought thought would be a fairly um, standard procedure, you know, particularly in developing countries. You pay $5, guy signs the certificate. <laughs> no matter what. <laughs> no uh, matter but he turned out to be a rather good doctor and he listened to my chest and, and said, you've got a heart murmur. Um, why don't you um, come back and have an ultrasound? Um, and being quite cynical, my natural reaction was that this was an unnecessary test that I was going to be charged for. Yeah. Uh, but I went, in, I went back and did it and he said, you've got a massive hole in your heart. Um, so uh, to cut a long story short, instead of going running in Jordan, I... Um, spent the time in London having uh, open heart surgery, which, um, well, it sounds like quite a big deal. And if you, I mean, be, being opened up and stitched up is obviously a bit of a um, fairly, fairly serious undertaking, but uh, the recovery is amazingly quick. Um, and the great thing about it was, uh, in theory, it should make me fitter because uh, unknowingly I'd been wandering around with a big, big short circuit in the heart for yeah. the last 25 years or whatever. Um, so anyway, that was what I did in 2016. So I didn't go to Jordan. Wait, I, just like, I just like the way you've totally underplayed all of that, as though it was yeah. just like, oh, and I just found out that I needed open heart surgery, uh, and uh, and good news, it made me a better runner. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but that that is basically it. I mean, uh, isn't that cheating? Then they, isn't that cheating? Is that uh, most people? Most people will train for for months and months to improve their PB, and you go straight in for surgery. Yeah, I mean, they they, they sew a bit of. Um, bovine pericardium which is the lining of a cow's heart over the hole so i guess there is some like artificial um it's icarus, it's icarus performance in there did you get to do you get to choose the cow because i'm sure did you go for a really like badass pumped up steroided cow or is it just an organic or an organic cow? Uh, well i was a bit worried because I, I was living in nepal at the time and i was worried that this might be sacrilegious Oh my god! Oh, oh, it might turn yeah. you into a god. Oh, no, yeah, exactly. No. I, was, I was either part deity or, or sacrilegious, but um, they didn't seem to mind. I didn't have the operation done in Nepal. I, I decided. <laughs> yeah, the NHS, the NHS is bad. It's not. It's not that bad. <laughs> and um, did you did you figure out which girl had, had put this this hole in the heart in your heart? Well, yeah, most of my was... friends just spent their time making jokes about it being a miraculous discovery that I had one. Um, so yeah, it was um, it was it was a bit of a surprise, but uh, it was all it was all over with quite quickly. Yeah. Well, yeah. no, no, no. When you say quite quickly, uh, yeah, what, what are we talking about here? From discovery well, you, through to surgery. I mean, discovery uh, to surgery about two or three weeks. They started off to doing something clever where they stick a, a catheter up your from your groin yeah. and try and fix it by remote control, yeah. but that didn't work. Um, so then they had to do the full like slice and open um but uh, so it's about three weeks from not getting my utmb medical certificate to having the operation and then um the only real recovery is that you have to is that they your sternum has to be glued back together so it's about six weeks till i could go for a jog maybe eight so what? So right. So this is something that we've talked about a lot on the podcast, and we talk about pointless French administration um, for for most races. <laughs> but actually, pointless French administration may have saved your life. Yeah, no, actually, it was it was French bureaucracy and Nepali medicine. <laughs> wow. Neither neither of which regularly get much credit. Oh, has that man. ever crossed over before? 
<laughs> well, you see, because I, I had to get one for um, uh, MDS about four years ago. Uh, and um, I went and got that one done in Nigeria. <laughs> where it, it, it properly was like, here's five bucks, you sign this. Um, so I felt pretty stupid about that four years later but when it turned out if I'd done it properly I would have discovered it <laughs> but do you but yeah feel- I mean it, it, it was a complete freak discovery um but uh, yeah it still was at some level the responsibility of French bureaucracy but have you, have you noticed is your, does your pulse rate is it completely different now it went down a bit but the doctor before said you know do you have any symptoms um do you get tired a lot I was like I'm in my 20s I travel a lot for work. I probably drink too much and I do quite a lot of running. I'm always tired, but yeah. then so does ev- so everyone I know. So yeah. that's, if, you've got, yeah. if you've got no frame of reference, like that's not really much of a symptom. Mm. Um, so I did feel I did feel quite energetic afterwards, but I didn't know whether that was just uh, psychological. And then whatever happens, you adjust to everything. So you, you get a temporary uplift and then a month or two later, you're like, yeah, now I'm just back to, I've normalized it. Oh, so you should have timed it just before the race. Yeah, then... exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so you then came back and was what? I mean, why was Jordan such a priority for you over so, anyone, given what, what, what actually, you actually, it'd be worth finding out what what you did before. So, what what races that you'd done to to sort of get a background, really, as to you know the the, the, the sort of um, your uh, your racing pedigree, shall we say? Uh, my, my racing pedigree. Well, it's um, more more mongoloid. Um, <laughs> the uh, I I've done. Um, I, I started doing a bit of running at university. Um, ended up doing a couple of marathons. Definitely not a proper marathon runner. Like uh, I, I'm a bit too square. I don't really like the sensation of pushing on speed. Um, so then I started doing a few ultras. Um, I did like 100 miler, uh, a couple of stage races. I did NDS as a sort of token. It has to be done at some point. Yeah. Um, and a, a few others, but like I'd, I'd do a, one or two ultras a year, um, maybe a road marathon if it was in a convenient place or coincided with a holiday. Um, and then quite a lot of running in fun places because uh, I lived for two years in West Africa and then two years in Nepal. Um, and Nepal obviously is like made for trail running and yeah. mountain running and all, all this kind of stuff. Um, so I did a fair bit of, of I, I call it more sort of uh, um, uh, adventure running, yeah, rather than rather than races. But you know, I mean, like uh, I was never I was never particularly competitive in any of the races. If, if I found a really small race and <laughs> hope that no one else turned up. I might, I might end up sort of finding myself competing at the front, but, but not really. And so, um, well, in fact, let's, let's go to China, shall we, before we go to Jordan. Okay. That was what you messaged me to, I, I can't remember how I, did I see it on Facebook or, but it turned out you're racing the same race as, um, as a friend of mine who, who I'd raced the MDS with. Oh uh, Yeah. But uh, so was that your first? So you'd, you'd done MDS previously. Um, what? How did you find out about the China weight race, and, and why did you decide to take that on? So basically, while I'd been living in various places, I'd, I'd started doing a few articles for the Guardian, their their running blog, um, very sort of unprofessional, informal accounts of running in interesting places, 
Um, uh, I, I'd, I'd done this at half a dozen of them. I did that in MDS. I, did, I used my daily email as a sort of dispatch from the desert. Um, anyway, um, I then got a call in about two or three months after the surgery from a, um, a, a guy I'd met who is helping to organize a race in China, um, saying they wanted media attention for race. And he thought he could wangle me for each place. Right. And I mean, like most other runners, if someone gives me a free plane ticket, I'd literally run anywhere. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Irrespective of, of what the hell it was, whether I was capable of it, how much I was over promising and under delivering. I, I, um, <laughs> so, um, I, I got, I, I wangled this freebie trip out to, to China. Um, I had no idea what I was getting myself in for. Like it was, it was a 400 kilometer single stage race. Um, I mean, oh, I couldn't God, even I find it. I single even, stage. Yeah. I couldn't even find anyone to give me advice on what to do with one of them. Like, um, and, um, it was an amazing insight into Chinese running. Um, I mean, the race is just off the charts in every way. Like, um, they, they, they put a lot of money into it. So what's that? What's the name um, of the race then? So it's the ultra Gobi. Oh yeah. Um, it, I think, I think this year was its third year. So it's, um, it's different from the Gobi March. Yeah, so the Gobi March is, is your sort of bog standard stage race. Yeah. 30, 40k a day, a f- couple of hundred runners, five stage race. Um, this is like a sort of masochistic death trudge across the desert. I mean, 400 kilometers, single, um, 10 restations. Um, oh, sorry, you're breaking up. And, I can't, uh, about 50. I, I lost that last, uh, like, 25 seconds or so david do you want to take your um, yeah. your video off and then sorry you were just yes. you were just explain you say um in comparison to uh, to the gobi march so yeah it, it, um ultra gobi's 400 kilometers single stage uh they've got 150 hour cutoff um and they put rest stations every 40 kilometers. <laughs> yeah i mean the 150 hour cutoff is, is pretty crazy um i mean that's that's six days um, so it, it's a really bizarre and interesting race and one that I, I, I'd actually definitely recommend to people um, I mean I, I turned up never having a, I don't think I'd ever more than 150 kilometers in a week like I, I didn't do lots of distance training although I may be paid for that um, but it's about it had, had about 50 runners in it um, and and it's just nuts I mean you go off you feel all right for the first sort of 50, 100 kilometers. Um, you you can't comprehend how long the race. If you start thinking about the whole race, yeah, at any at any stage, you you psychologically just give up. <laughs> so so wait, so 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 there's two aspects here. So, so it's firstly, there's the there's the challenge of doing a um, a single stage race. So I mm. I, I, I imagine. Uh, and, and never having run anything in terms of this work. So you basically have to moderate when you stop, how long you stop for, you know, what, I mean, how did you, how did you actually approach that when you were doing it? Was it just a case of total, totally guessing as to, or yeah, just, I mean, I'd, deciding it? Agent, I, I'd run a hundred mile before. So I was like, well, let's do 160 odd kilometers and see what happens. Yeah. Uh, and I ended up running quite slowly about the first 200. Um, and uh, I, I sort of had half an hour sleep here and there. Yeah. Um, and then I walked the next hundred. Um, and then I got 
quite bad tendinitis in one of my feet and I literally hobbled 100 kilometers um, and the first bit's quite runnable it's if not, I mean it, it, you guys have both done MDS you know what runnable desert feels like yeah sort of hard sand and um, then they've got they put a 3,000 meter mountain in there um, after about 250 kilometers um, and you're just telling yourself as soon as I get to that it's fine I'm going to be all right like as soon as I get to the top of that it's all it's all all right um anyway the last hundred kilometers are absolutely savage it's like clambering in and out of canyons over sand dunes um like just appalling terrain um and i mean yeah the last bit was absolutely brutal i I was hobbling um i uh the terrain was impossible you haven't slept for 70 hours or you haven't slept for more than i think i slept for about four hours in total um so you, you uh, it, it was people talk a lot about hallucinating and all this kind of stuff in ultra athletes, which i've always thought was a bit overplayed mm. um i've always thought is something that people like to exaggerate but mentally you are completely like in a different world by the end of it yeah just the, the accumulated sleep deprivation the fatigue on your body um so yeah, great fun. Um, and, uh, and, um, and are you what are you carrying full kit or are you a sleeping yeah. bag and stuff? Or I mean, you have, when, when aid stations? I mean, I think I weighed my pack. It was definitely lighter than MDS. I think I had about four or five kilos. Um, you have you have to take a bit of safety equipment. Yeah, you, you get like extreme weather coming in, um, so you you have to take some. But but the organisation is just nuts. Like. I think this year they had eight staff members for every runner. Whoa. Like I, guess, the, the, I guess labor in China, right? Eh? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're either building I mean, iPhones or. <laughs> they, um, they had uh, like, uh, they had XR medics there and there were about 12 XR medics. So there was an XR medic for every four runners. Um, they uh so they 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 put these they, you have a water stop every sort of 10 or 15 kilometers um and that's just a a dude a dude in a tent somewhere um and then you have these full-on aid stations every 40 kilometers where you can get a massage and like i mean it, it, coming from the world of uk ultra running mm. um which is extremely low profile low budget um it, it's it's just a different different experience well it's luxurious yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they had a firework display every time someone finished. Oh, my God. <laughs> We're doing this. We're doing this race. Oh, my word. And, um, and so, you're, I mean, were you, do you, do you take stuff like camping stoves or is everything dry? Everything's, oh. I mean, I mean, everything's provided at the aid station. Like, they'll give you hot water, they'll give you cold water. I mean, you, you, and you have drop bags in all the aid stations, so... Ah, uh, okay, okay. You really only need to carry safety equipment and a bit of bit of food to munch on between, um, between the the the, the forty kilometer stretches. So how, how many people? How many people are running this race then? So when I did in two thousand sixteen, there were fifty of us, so about ten internationals. Yeah. Um, with sort of odd assortment of some quite elite professional, some more sort of media orientated, um, and some just a bit random, um. But uh, the about, uh, and then there were about forty uh, Chinese runners, or it's East Asian runners. Mm. Um, and, and what kind of temperature range is it? What's the high? What's the low? 
we were quite lucky. I mean, it, it gets up to it gets up to sort of low thirties in the day. Mm. So again, not not the extremity of MDS. Yeah. Um, but then it gets down to next to zero at night. Um, and also they're quite long nights. Um, you've got to 11 hour nights. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Which is, if you're going all the way through that, it's pretty long and lonely. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I guess, especially if you're, if you're, if you're doing all those mountainous things in the dark yeah. as well. Um, yeah. And what, does, so, is there what is what is the route? Does the route follow something? Is there is there does it is there? A, where does it start and go to? What's the? What, is there some historical significance about the the route? Oh, it starts to some sort of random village in the middle of the desert and finishes in another random town. It, it supposedly follows the route of uh, a Chinese monk who walked to India to find <laughs> the origins wow. of Buddhism. Yeah, because he obviously it, it, it's quite to tokenistic. <laughs> Yeah, what I love what, definitely. What I love about China is that they just make they make shit up, don't they? Like history, <laughs> don't they? They'll tell you. It doesn't matter. Everywhere I went in China, it was the old. It was like it was the either the oldest tree or the oldest temple. And you're like, that is not the oldest. That's not the oldest tree in this park, let alone the oldest tree in China. They just make stuff up. I wouldn't believe a yeah, single yeah, there thing. There was definitely some that. invented tradition going on. Apparently, <laughs> gunpowder wasn't even them. It's just uh, <laughs> just threw it in there. And so, when you're getting to your aid stations. Could anyone speak English? We, did you have anyone to chat to, or were you coming in as a, the, the the sole white dude? Um, I mean, you are, and you get like you get photographed to an insane degree. <laughs> even like, in the aid stations, like, like even, even in the aid stations, and oh, you must be like Dean Canazes, wasn't it? Like people taking your <laughs> yeah. autograph and touching your hair and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> When I came back, my family did point out to me that, like, I'm not in China anymore. No one cares about you. Like, <laughs> you are well, nothing here. How were you behaving when you were back here for your parents to have to say that to you? Well, I hate to think. <laughs> You're setting off fireworks the, the, every time you walked in a room. <laughs> the, the, there were cartoons made about me in China. Like, it was uh, it, it was flattering to have 15 minutes of pretending what? to be... To be to be someone of note. There were cartoons. cartoons. What does what do you even mean by that? Oh, I'll send you one. I mean, like the, the um. Are you in the Chinese Simpsons? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure ever reached quite that level, um, <laughs> but uh, no. I mean, it was uh, the the well, you know, I mean, in China, there's there's a certain um, uh, particularly in small town China. Yeah. You definitely get made a big deal of just by pure virtue of being white, um, yeah. and they're also a bit obsessed with running. So, being a white runner in China, they they, they just assume you're some amazing athlete, um, I, I and no you, idea. Do, you do get a certain status. You, you'd love it. Though. But I had, <laughs> I love the fact you're saying that Jody wouldn't love it because he's a he's a humble man. But Dave, yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so the, the China, so running's actually a big thing over there because that that surprises me. Yeah, I mean it, it's becoming a big thing. I. Mean, I um, some of the, the stuff, a little bit of the stuff I've done about in terms of writing about running has been about sort of why people, why people do this stuff. And yeah. I do certainly think that it's quite, I mean, for studies, you, you have to be, you have to, your life has to be, um, have a certain degree of comfort in it for discomfort to become your hobby. Yeah. Um, which is why like all these sports are fairly affluent Western hobbies in general. Posh boys. Um, yeah, basically, like, I mean, I think that there was some stats about the New York Marathon, that the average income of someone doing that is 
kind of $200,000. Like it's, um, there's a reason why all these fund managers like sponsor yeah. marathons and triathlons because um, it's an affluent crowd. Um, and I think with China, China's just, the Chinese middle class is just reaching that level where you've got a generation of people who have never known uh, physical discomfort by necessity. It's the first wave of Iron Man tattoos of Hitch. Oh, that's it. That's yeah. it. Exactly. They, and you know, they, they, built, they built a triathlon track um and by that they built like 40 kilometers of road just for, a race that's not used for just, anything just, else just, just a race on it this is like a specific track because they wanted to get some world championships there or something like um the, the, because when when the chinese take up something like running they do so in their tens of millions they, they probably they probably chose somewhere that where they could knock down as many villages as possible <laughs> <laughs> just plowed it through <laughs> so I mean, so r- running is running is big like the number of marathons cropping up all over the place um and as with most things if they're going to do something they they want to do it on a, a slightly extreme scale but that's difficult um, in china that's difficult with pollution isn't it i mean that i mean i, I, I suppose once you yeah. get out this is the thing but that you know they're they're i mean they're, they're, they're actually you know sort of um starting to lead the way in terms of um uh, uh, trying to turn it around but it's a it's a difficult place to to uh, to run, yeah. Um, Beijing, yeah, I would, the, the they mm. still get twenty thousand, thirty thousand people turning up for these big marathons, um, and then you've got you've got so it's many a, de- a death rate of thirty percent though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Basically, if you run in the city, there's so many of them. The one guy that survives is incredible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's Darwinism at its best. <laughs> Yeah, and like you prepare, you prepare for a marathon by not training for six months because that's <laughs> going to make you fitter. <laughs> um, but then, I mean, but, but trail running, I mean, there, there's so many sort of areas of incredible wilderness that we've never heard of that are just dotted around. Um, and so there, there are more and more races starting up in, um, in different areas of China. And they tend to use the same formula. They tend to buy in a, a Western race director. Oh, yeah. Mm, okay. Um, so they'll buy in a brand. Um, so I think I think UTMB is doing various things out there. Um, they've partnered with with them for some races. Why do you think that is? Do they want the kudos or do they want the international money or, or the cash? Is it, no, the it, cash? It's not about the money. The, the money definitely comes from China. Yeah. Um, like if, if if anything, it's it's the race directors and and Western brands cashing in. Um, it's it's more that. Um, they're, they're creating something they don't have any pedigree in um, mm. and as with most of these things uh, by western brands are seen as um, as high end as status um, I, I think that they'll drop it all pretty quickly as soon as they've mastered as soon as they've got, got their, their formula down to the T yeah. that they'll drop it they just want to buy in um, see how, learn how it's done well, um, we, we, then, we, we, know that, we know the Chinese are good at uh, copying stuff so uh, yeah. yeah, it'll be it'll be the CTMB or something else, or the uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be a slight variation of uh, of all the major brands. But yeah, like you said, they're gonna once they once they master it, they're gonna they're gonna have all their own brands that they're gonna uh, launch out there as well. But you can see people like Marathon de Saab and all that probably trying to do it. That's I mean that's that's sort of the the route that some of the big race brands are going. Yeah, I mean, I think my take on that whole industry is just that there are, in the last 10 years, a few people have realized it is actually a business. Yeah. Um, all these things that were runners sort of 
quite small informal one-man bands um and particularly utmb and mds have really cashed on the commercial side yeah i mean and especially if you think how long mds has been around for and how the numbers have gone up marginally but it's still only 1500 people it's so, it's so but, difficult but, but, the, the but that's why they've the, gone to for this peru thing and yeah, and yeah. but like, the, i think they wanted to sell sell it and they needed to uh, show growth the, the french the so french catching in though the french cat the french thinking in, in a commercial way it, it just must absolutely tear them apart yeah yeah well that's that's maybe what held them back for so long no, the fact probably. that patrick just and so and so the, so this race then so were you i mean did you were you running with people did you have an expectation yeah, I, I spent, did you not at all i spent um a bit of time running with harvey who yeah. you know you know Great good guy. american 24-hour team runner yeah um and it got winner yeah absolutely you know there, there was the bad he had one bad board a couple of times there was pavel who seems to have won the spine a few times mm. um a bunch of other um sort of like impressive runners um so i just trotted off, off as a sort of token um person pretending to wing it as a journalist um but definitely not um and i thought i'd see how it goes anyway then people kept people ahead of me kept blowing up um harvey got sick the guy from hong kong couldn't navigate at all it, it's it's all gps like you've got to be able to use a handheld garmin well okay um and it's amazing how many people can't like in a desert it's not it, it's not that tricky but people who have spent like six months training for a race and haven't used their gps before like amazing. take it out the box half an hour before and you're just like that, that. um so anyway everyone who should have been Hong Kong still out there <laughs> <laughs> quite possibly he, he was a surveyor and he, <laughs> <could not. laughs> like, he kept going ahead of me and then like he would i would he would be running the wrong way and i'd bump into him i'd be like what are how, you doing here how do you know it like, wasn't, how do you know it wasn't mind games we, we know that there are people that do things like that <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so after about sort of 250 kilometers, I accidentally found myself in the lead, which was a bit of a shock. Um, uh, but yeah, as I said, by this point, I, I was just hobbling. Like, I, I, um, I mean, I was on crutches for two months afterwards um, because I had, I had this 10 nights in my foot and it was getting worse and worse with every step. It was, it was quite painful, really. And have um, you had anything wrong with your tendons before or was this just because of the how much no, I, I mean it's it's half a million steps and i think that like the the number of different frictions and tensions you can get in your tendons and ligaments and stuff over that distance is unless you're someone who um routinely runs sort of 200 odd kilometers a week mm-hmm. it, it will destroy some part of your body yeah um and i, I was luckier than some um uh, jenny another british runner like blew up after about 100 kilometers various other people i mean no one did. yeah oh did she um, i didn't know she did that race oh no way yeah, she she was out there um, oh she's ace uh yeah absolutely and then she um she joined the um aid stations after she had dropped out i mean like this is a six-day race so it's it, it goes on for a long time um so, so what was the dropout rate then it wasn't that high but people just limped on mm. Um, I mean, I think I think so. Thirty-five odd people finished. 
Um, anyway, I, so I spent the last hundred kilometers trudging across the desert, being chased down by one of the Chinese runners who eventually caught me with about 30 kilometers to go. Oh, um, were, you getting, um, were you getting updates on where he was? Uh, a little bit, yeah. I mean, like I, I'd completely given up on, I mean, I hadn't started intending to be at all. Like, mm. I think I'd be anywhere in the front. There was about, there was about a, a few hours in the middle when I thought, like, holy shit, I might actually win this. But um, <laughs> as, as soon as my tendons started falling apart, I, I was just um, just waiting for, I, I was amazed that I was expecting like an entire crowd of people to come past me. Yeah. Little did I know that they, they, they were all falling apart, sort of 50 kilometers behind me. Mm. Um, anyway, so I ended up the, long, the long hobble to the finish. And it's just, yeah, one hobbler overtaking another. Yeah, like it, it, it would look pretty pathetic. <laughs> Um, so anyway, I ended up sort of um, coming in. I mean, in second in I think ninety four hours or ninety two hours or something like oh that. Oh my god! Oh. And, and was um, this guy running when he passed you, walking or? Yeah, he, he he started running towards the end, which was a bit weird. I mean, he he only he finished like two hours ahead of me or something, um, which is a long a long way, but proportionally, um, yeah. sounds quite small. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, he was—he'd done it the year before, um, so he had some some knowledge of what to what to expect, and he was—he was a very good runner. Um, so yeah, it was um, it was a really really fun experience. Um, I mean, I, I um, like the 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 placing flattered me massively. Um, I think uh, I mean we saw this year what happens when really good runners go and do that race and have a clean run. Yeah. Uh, well, what's this year, so this year, um, this year, I mean, I, I reckon if I had a, a clean run at it and nothing went badly wrong, sort of somewhere a little bit over eighty hours would be feasible. Yeah. Um, this year, uh, Dan Lawson, uh, I don't know if you've talked to him at all, but if, you know, if not, you definitely should on one of these. He's uh, he's a fun guy and he's um, he's part of the UK twenty uh, four hour team. Mm, um, okay. And he, I ran with him this year for the first uh, 180 or so kilometers, um, and then he, and then he just bombed off, and he finished, I think, 72 hours. Like he yeah. he he finished, was interviewed by the media, went to the hotel, slept, had breakfast, and came back. By the time the second place <laughs> finished, showed. Whoa! Like, okay, like, it's. It, I mean. It, that's partly because the race is just in a different scale, but partly yeah. he, he, was, he slept for, he slept for one hour. Wow. Out of 72. And, and did you just, there was four hours in intention or, or it, did you have no idea and you just thought this is what I need or I don't, your alarm went off or you didn't, you slept longer than you thought or. No, I mean, you, I slept for sort of an, an hour or two. I, I, I was running with Harvey on the first night. And so I sort of followed his lead and we slept for like, two hours um and then after that i just snatched half an hour here and there um the sleep is weird like it, it's much easier to do sleep deprivation than you think um but it also has much more impact on your body than you imagine and, and when you um, say exactly you, you don't feel like you need to sleep no i mean you you can just keep going if you get in the momentum um you can sort of fight off sleep. Like there, there are bits where you have to walk along, like slapping yourself in the face. Um, but uh, in general, you can you can save off sleep, but you will just become a gibbering idiot. Um, 
like uh, I mean people barely knew where they were like what they were doing mm. uh, they were I think some people were definitely unsure of who they were by the end well and, and were there any horror stories or was it thankfully okay for everyone no I mean no no everyone made it out no one sort of started taking their clothes off or doing weird things in, in a sort of depraved uh, sleep deprived um, way but but people were people's ability to navigate I mean you get that thing where someone comes into an aid station has some food and then goes back out the way they've come <laughs> and someone has to like run after them and turn them around um, do they then come back yeah. into the aid station again thinking oh, yeah. <laughs> aid station. food it's yeah. like quality yeah, so two aid stations so close to each other this is ace <laughs> um it's i mean it's 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 different from any other sort of running i've done and i think it's it's almost a different sport like it's you do not need to be fast you do not need to be um it's it's not really about running like it's if um there was a british guy in the first one who walked it in about 115 hours mm. like he didn't it didn't run a step um and uh so yeah i think it's, it's a really interesting way of challenging the the, the sleep deprivation and the, the just the sheer bloody minded stubbornness part rather than running technique or any of that and like how what were your emotions like and, and what were you focusing on th- throughout the the second half i mean often you focus on like that quite a quite a mundane way of breaking it down into like the smallest chunks you know you're literally uh, first you're trying to get to the next aid station and then you're trying to get to the next water station and then you're trying to get to that rock it's about 20 meters away and then you're just like focusing on each and every painful step that you're taking um so yeah i mean it definitely towards the end i challenge anyone to to claim to be enjoying it in in the moment um but overall as a sort of uh, as a challenge as an, as an experience and as a, as a bit of a mind fuck it's it's pretty amazing and and so you, you, you had these two months on crutches. It, was that in Nepal? No, that was, I, uh, I was back in London by then. Um, okay. But I worked out that you can cycle in a space boot. Um, so <laughs> it's, it, it was fine. I just had to cycle everywhere because it was so bloody slow to walk. And did that not put you off um, going back? Um, well, I was a bit curious. I mean, I went and had a, a bit of physio. Um, I was, I, I, I'd always been extremely lucky with injuries. So uh, I... Um, I thought I'd, I thought I'd see what happened, um, and I, I, I've never had it. I've, I've done sort of multi-stage races, never had any issues. Um, so I, yeah, it didn't, didn't put me off entirely. And so, when you went back for the second time, then um, what was different? Like, how did you change your training? What was your training? I mean, I was much better prepared. I hadn't done much to more in terms of mileage. I, I don't. I don't think I could ever run more than about 150 kilometers in a week. Mm. Um, I just don't think there's time and you just get bored. And I mean, um, I think uh, Dan, who, who won it with such an impressive time, I think I think he knocks out about 250 kilometers a week. Um, wow. Yeah, that's huge. And he, he's just like incredible um, sort of running resilience, which is why he did so well. But um, uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't do much different. I, I was just slightly better prepared. Um but anyway, I, I went back and I, I went off. Well, I went off with Dan, which was um, reasonably quick. I think we did the first hundred miles in about twenty-four hours, 
Um, was your hope to go back to, to potentially win it? Or no, not at all. Like, I mean, if, if it, I had no illusions about how um, uh, how much of a fluke coming second the first year was, and there was an even better crowd um, this year. There was um, uh, Nathan Montague and Dan from the UK. Um, there was uh, Michael Wardian from the US, who's I think he's like a hundred kilometer either um he's a 100 kilometer record holder and like a 217 marathon runner and um, various other people with with pretty impressive um uh credentials um so i i had no illusions about that um i was just going back because uh, someone gave me another free plane ticket um and uh, i thought I, I enjoyed it the whole the whole experience of, of being in china the the hype they have around the race the um the organization of it um and the way that like you're you're with you're with a group of um 20 odd other runners for like a two-week period mm. so it's a proper holiday that you're on with all these people and you do get to know them quite well both before and after the race um and a little bit during um so i, I went back just because um i could and um uh, yeah, and then I I got the same tendonitis, uh, but after but a bit earlier this time. Oh God! Uh, is, it like, had, is it like an old friend coming back? <laughs> yeah, it, it really was haunting, um, and I was like, I know exactly what there is to come in this race. If, if oh, I'd known no. this, if, if I'd known this last year, I wouldn't have carried on. Yeah. Um, so um, it was it was an odd experience. It's the first time I've ever. Uh, I say this without being, being sort of. I'm often against that sort of. Um, stubborn pride in never never quitting anything but um i had i hadn't i hadn't ever pulled out of a race before um so it was it was a weird experience to to suddenly be like actually i am sensible enough to stop running if you know it's two months on crutches well i think it would have been about four this time like it would have it would have really um and it i must say it was difficult pulling out Mm. um it, it made me appreciate how difficult it is to to make that call um and i respect for people who do it like who who just sort of run and listen to their body and think right no this is uh, i'm getting a pretty clear message here that i should stop is it, um, i think it's far it's far harder than carrying on is i mean it, obviously it depends we, we all think there are some wet people who sort of get an odd niggle um or think they might not do as well as they should do and therefore pull out um, but I, I, it's, it was pretty. T- I think it's. I think it's slightly easier to just um, to, to put up with the pain, the physical pain of carrying on, mm. than it is particularly with a big race that you've been um, building up to. Um, to actually, to actually call it a day and, and just say right, I'm, I'm stopping here. Do you think it's also partly with a race that hard? there's a certain expectation of pain. And so to make a decision about this is not just really painful and hard and I was expecting it, this is injury-inducing, is that a lot harder to to decide? Yeah, I mean, fortunately, I had a pretty good um, sort of (laughs) benchmark (laughs) having having gone through the year before. But yeah, absolutely. Like it's hard to, it's hard to differentiate between those two. But I don't know. What about you guys? If you, when was the last time you pulled out of a race? (laughs) It's normally weekly. (laughs) Well, well, part of time last week. I mean, (laughs) I was really feeling it after two and a half K. I've never, I've never pulled out of a race because of, um, 
because of injury, I don't think. Um, or I'm, I'm the guy who I'm not performing as well as I want to. And in terms of my season, it's much better to just suck it up bail on this one and uh, use its training and race better next weekend so but it's been a while actually since i dnf'd i mean the i almost dnf'd in edinburgh which was only 33 miles which you should have you should have dnf'd that i should have dnf'd it yeah i mean it and that and even now looking back i think was i right not to dnf because as you say a lot of it is just that stubborn pride and that's why I finished it. Um, but in reality, it meant I couldn't race the next weekend. It meant I had a week of no training whatsoever. And having finished, what did I get out of it other than that thought to myself, well, I, I, did, I finished it and it was hard and, and felt bad. And I guess I've got that knowledge that I can overcome that. But I didn't get much from it. Oh, you got a good story. Third place. Got a good story. Third place in a good story. Well, there's no case. What was wrong with you? nothing i just my leg locked up and it was too hard uh, yeah it was it was too hard running do you know when you're running in a way that isn't how you normally run and you think this doesn't happen unless something's going wrong and i think david's like, had... like scott jurek when he find when someone's in front of him he doesn't know what to do just he doesn't know what <laughs> in that, especially in a, in a rat race i don't i, I don't i don't yeah, know what to do in this yeah. situation there's someone in front of me I, ca- I can't comprehend or everything just goes crazy at that point that's the thing if i'd have had the leg thing when i was doing your race then i'd have carried on you know with, with no problem because i thought you know this shit's going you know shit happens but in a race it's 33 miles and this was happening at 17 miles and like what is going on here where I'm halfway through a race. I haven't run that hard and I'm still, but anyway, anyway. Um, I mean, in the, in the Gobi, you can literally like catch a stomach bug, sleep it off, recover from it, keep on going. Like th- th- there's enough time to do that. L- last year, there was a Canadian runner who got, um, he got a fever um, and he was held by the medics in a rest station for 36 hours. <laughs> they wouldn't let out. him leave. They wouldn't let him leave until he broke the fever, and so he was there for thirty-six hours. They need um, to and get then, so- then carried on and did it in like one hundred and forty-five hours. Wow! They need to get a pregnant woman to do it and finish with a baby. <laughs> you know, that would be a story. And so, yeah, <laughs> with a race that long, then, like food-wise, what had you planned, and what did you do? I mean, you have to take twenty-five thousand calories with you. Um, oh my god, that's but, so but no, much. No one eats half of it. I mean, I think I lost six or seven kilos, um, like after water weight. And like what? You, after you water weight? Oh my after, god! I mean, I don't know. About you, I find those, these races are really, um, yeah. You, you can just you just burn a whole lot of muscle. You yeah, come back yeah. looking incredibly scrawny. Um, and the worst thing about them is that you go into a race like that, you burn all the muscle you've got, and then you spend the next month not doing any running. And yeah. replace it all with fat. <laughs> so, f- f- from a sort of uh, a physique point of view, it's definitely not um, <laughs> not not positive. Um, but yeah, you just eat loads of. I mean, I I I, um, I I mean, I had a few dried meals and then a whole bunch of like flapjack and cookies and sweets. And uh, I've never I've never really gone in that much into high tech sports food. I tend to just eat junk, junk food. So it was quite fatty as well. The food you were eating. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everything. Uh, but again, you're you're moving so slowly that you could have 
I could have walked. I could if someone had delivered a pizza. Yeah, I would have quite happily have walked have in not eating that. Don't they yeah, dominate in uh, China now? If I, not in the middle of the Gobi Desert, but um, but yeah, could have could have got through that. I mean, oh. um, you, you, should, you should look into it. It's. Uh, it sounds, it sounds great. I think this sounds great. I don't know. I just, I, I mean, I think it does sound quite appealing, but I think the appealing, because tell us about what happened when it finished. This is a bit I love. This is a bit I'd enjoy. What do you mean? Like after the... Well, I, I can't... The thing is, half of my stories I hear about you are from uh, Pork Pie, Guy Matthews. Okay, right. <laughs> Which means well, don't don't believe any of them. <laughs> exactly. I mean, there's about ten percent truth in there. But he knows how to make a story into the exact story that I will love, um, which is just by sprinkling it with a whole Ooh, load of tell exaggeration. Tell me what he told you, and I'll I'll give you the the rather <laughs> more boring and, and truthful version. I mean, he told me you were you're almost bigger than Beckham in China by the time he left. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I enjoyed like a a, a certain few minutes of of, of um, having like just that that insight into what it's like to be to be uh, famous in China, big in China. Um, so but, uh, people actually knew who you were walking around the streets. I mean, in in like that town. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't like a, a, a well-known celebrity across a billion people in China. Yeah. Um, but uh, but no, it was yeah, it was, it was it was a fun experience. Is that the real reason you went back to that town? Pretty much. <laughs> and dare I ask I, if you were I, a single man special. at the time? Uh, no, I wasn't. <laughs> damn it! Damn it! <laughs> and, and and do do you think? I mean, it, what, has it changed your perception of of the Chinese? Um, I mean, I, I didn't really know much about China before. It's um, uh, so I, I didn't go in with with massive preconceptions, other than probably a few rather ignorant stereotypes. Um, I mean, and, and I saw China mainly through running. So it made me more and more interested and excited by the Chinese running scene with all its bizarre um, eccentricities, but just the amount of money and uh, energy and support there is out there. What would you say uh, yeah, is different you, about it? Yeah, you said eccentricities. What, what sort of eccentricities? I mean, well, the, everything is just done on, on a different scale. Um, so yeah, the, the fact that you have a fireworks display for every finisher. <laughs> Was it a sparkler? <laughs> no, no, like this is this is proper fireworks going off. Like, um, the the fact they make such a big deal out for runners. Um, I mean, and there are sort of uh, the, the rules. The rules are extremely vague and very strictly applied. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Were people so, being banned um, then, or being kicked off for stuff? No, it was more like you would just, um, you would, I mean, there's one, there's a, there was an aid station the other side of a river and, and I got there in the dark um, and I said, like, how do I get across the river? And the guy wouldn't tell me. Um, I, I mean, I, I didn't know whether I was, whether there was a bridge like 200 metres down or anything like that. Um, so at the end, I just waded in on the basis that if I was about to die, he'd probably stop me. <laughs> but with hindsight, I don't think he would have done. His English um, is terrible. It, it, <laughs> it turned out it was like two foot deep and you had to wade across. Um, but like the the the, um, the the volunteers and the marshals will not tell you anything. Like You, you could be dying um, 
And if you if you ask them for help, they'd be like, well, actually, I'm afraid I can't provide assistance. That sounds um, like Paris Marathon, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Do you, uh, do you think that's because they're scared of doing something wrong? No, I think they've just been told, um, like, you're not allowed, you're not allowed to give directions to runners, and therefore that is that is applied without any any, any like question um, whatsoever. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there were, aside from not giving us directions, they were incredibly supportive. Like the um, the volunteers and stuff were amazing. Um, they they yeah, yeah just uh, it has a real atmosphere to it because of the the sheer number of people. In, in the middle of the desert and the sheer number of people when you get to the finish just different scale to, to UK where you have sort of like a couple of slightly annoyed spouses with bored children at the end of an ultramarathon yeah yeah and, and are you tempted to do the the, the Gobi Stomp then what's, what's the Gobi Stomp is that the one you mentioned Jody? the Gobi the, the, Stomp I thought that's what you called it. The Gobi March. The Gobi March. <laughs> the Gobi March. <laughs> no, I mean, like, I'm sure the like, I'm sure the Gobi March is fun, and the scenery yeah. there is pretty incredible. But from what I can work out, the Gobi March is, is another. It's just a slog, standard isn't it? Just a trail race. Uh, yeah, like, multi-stage uh, race. Okay. Okay. Um, um, I mean, would you say that is is the terrain similar in how it looks to the MDS, or just a completely different beast? it's it's different to the mds it's, i think it's more more varied more interesting um you don't i think we had we had a couple of short sand dune sections you don't i mean you don't get the sort of 10 kilometers of sand dunes that you get in mds um the sand the sand isn't as hard as mds um okay. but but the scenery is is more stunning i think yeah, particularly when you've got big mountains in there and stuff. I guess you need that if you're running 400k. I mean, there's one stretch where you are running, I think, 80 kilometers, and you can see almost 80 kilometers. No. I mean, you're just you're just like it's flat, and you can see. Oh yeah, God, um, and horrible. particularly at night when the lights, the lights you can see from 20 kilometers away, and they're just not getting any closer. So can you can you see the person ahead of you, or vice versa, if you just turned around and? I don't know. I I um I couldn't. I mean, I, I was at the front for most of the race. So I couldn't see last year. Um, but you think you can see people behind you, but I think they're they're figments of your imagination. <laughs> a lot of the time. Well, that's that's your that's your mind helping you because it's like you got to keep on going. They're catching. Yeah. It's your mind actually trying to support you by playing tricks. So, yeah. on to, so, so on to Jordan now. I mean, why was Jordan such an obsession then? You, you know, you couldn't go to the well, 2016. Partly, again, I, I mean, I'm massively lucked at. So basically, having attempted to go on a fairly impromptu and not not massively thought out running holiday with a mate, mm. um, I then came across the, the Jordan Trail, which is this 650-kilometer route from, um, from the very north of Jordan on the Syrian and Israeli border right down to the Red Sea. Mm. Um, and uh, it, it's one of these, there are a few through trails that are being put together around the world. It's becoming more popular, like through hiking or yeah. um, like, uh, I think uh, it probably got something to do with the, um, but Appalachian Trail, PCT in, in the US, uh, there are a lot of people doing long walks. So the Jordanians have put together this 650 kilometer trail and it, it was put together quite recently. Um, 
and, and, when, and is it uh, an existing thing that they've he, named yeah i mean they, they these are some, no the, i mean these are some of the oldest trails in the world um in terms of the uh, the, the thousands of years that humans have been walking on them um it's sort of in the birthplace of civilization uh fertile crescent area um but uh th- th- they just connected a few of them up and did a bit of marketing to turn it into a single trail mm. uh, anyway so i got in touch with them uh earlier this year or maybe end of last year and said has anyone run it um and um uh if not would you be able to give me some advice if i wanted to um and they kind of came back to me after a while and we had some email chains. And then it turned out that there was a Jordanian runner who also wanted to, to run it. Um, and uh, anyway, ended up, I ended up with a fully supported two week attempt all, all provided for by the Jordanian tourism board. Oh, amazing. Um, like uh, incredible. Um, wow. We were waved off by the Ministry of Tourism. <laughs> Um, we had uh, we had a four by four following us. Uh, we had we stayed in homestays, Bedouin camps, some quite high end places as well, all provided for by the by the or the Jordan Trail Association and the Ministry of Tourism uh, because they they wanted some publicity. They wanted to. They're looking at doing a race there, mm. um, so they wanted a couple of people to run it. And just by sheer fluke, I happened to have emailed them at about the right time. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it was, it was an incredible trip, uh, partly because of the access and the support that we had. Yeah. I mean, we had we had so we had like two Bedouins and uh, um, another and a driver following us in this truck, um, smoking nonstop. Everyone smoked, <laughs> like, like continued to say. Um, uh, and they was, would, was, they the, would, was the runner smoking next to you the whole time? As he, well. he wasn't, but they kept offering me cigarettes like Amazing. while I was running, like, like throughout. Um, and uh, I, what, what, it was a real pleasure, actually. I mean, I guess it's, it's probably because I've, I've always been a bit sort of uh, blinkered and competitive, but running without racing turns out to be really enjoyable. Mm. Um, going, going that we, we, we were planning to do sort of 60 odd kilometers a day. Yeah. Um, and the Jordanian runner, I don't know whether he, I mean, he, I think he, uh, how do I say this politely? He, he was a bit slow. Um, I think he was a bit ill. Um, he's also 50 odd and it's may, maybe, maybe getting to a point in his running career where he's slowing down a bit. Um, so he, he was often a bit behind me, which meant I had absolutely no pressure to, to up the speed. Oh, so um, you weren't running together? I mean, we would, uh, we would stop a few times each day and, and, really group but no we weren't running side by side he didn't speak a word of english well he spoke a few words of english but not much um i, I think i think running for 12 days with uh, um side by side would have been a bit tricky yeah um, but so i had absolutely no reason to push myself on 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 speed um it was more like a sort of a slightly speeded up walking holiday um and it was incredible you know if i felt good i could i think in the desert around wadi rum like, um, I think my Strava told me I did like a four hour marathon at one point, um, just because I felt, felt good that day. Yeah. Um, and then other times I would, I'd be going incredibly slowly taking in the view, stopping for, I, I drank probably about 10 cups of tea a day. Cause, um, 
the Bedouins could could make a fire and brew tea in five minutes. Um, <laughs> and so whenever, whenever we stopped with them, we'd, we'd stop for tea, um, sit around, chat. Um, really, I mean, the so the, the speed at which I did it was quite a revelation for me.